The Christmas season is upon us. Everywhere we look, it's obvious something big is on the way. The why behind all the gathering, decorations, and gifts is the Advent. We pray this series, Christmas is on the Way, draws the heart to Christ afresh as we live for His good purposes. You guys hear those kiddos singing up on the front row? Man, I was almost undone. Almost undone. Hey, if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> you're going to need those. I'm excited about the Word this morning. Um, anytime you get a light bulb moment in message prep, you just get excited about showing it. And, uh, and I'm excited about it. Christmas, y'all, is 14 days away. It is here. Christmas is on the way. Amen? It's on the way. And I don't know about you, but it has caught our house in the Kris Kringle grip. You know, every, everywhere you look around, it's right there. There is no doubt that uh, Christmas is on the way. And I don't want the Bethlehem birth to be a blur. I, I mean, I just don't. I, that's, that's just kind of my heart. I don't want to miss it. The title of the message this morning is just that. Christmas is on the way. The truth behind Bethlehem's birth. Bethlehem's birth. What we see is that God's outstretched hand is always in the details of the situations of our life. And I don't want to miss it. The details are there. It's our job to take notice. I mean, let's, let's just think about what God has already done in the details. We made a birth announcement. Only God can do that in the details. We just sang a song about Emmanuel. We, we are digging around into uh, the Christmas story, the birth of the Messiah. Y'all, if you don't see it, God is in the details. You can't line these things out. Only, only wisdom can do that. And the promise is, is no clearer than during the Christmas season where Christmas is on the way. And so one of my personal goals is, is really tr to try to do more reflection this, this Christmas season because I realize it, at this point in the month, I'm so prepared and I'm so focused on doing Christmas and getting Christmas done, especially as a pastor in a congregation, you know. I'm so busy trying to get, Chris, get, get to, to, to do Christmas that the, the details of what Christmas might be trying to do in me is kind of lost in the details. And that's my heart for us, y'all, that we would let Christmas do a work, a fresh work, a new work, see something we've never seen before. Goodness, goodness, I need it. To see Christmas in a way that's maybe never been considered. Because when you, when you see something in the text that's new and fresh, never been considered, and it allows you to grip truth and God in the details, man, it makes you hungry for more. At least it does for me. At least it does for me. And so that's my prayer. That's my prayer that, that something, something fresh and new would grip us this morning. And I believe that, that that could really be found in the story of the Bethlehem birth. The truth that's in the Bethlehem's birth will start something in us now the traditional views of christmas you guys know it they're fixed in popular culture 
I mean, think about this. You know, the birth of Jesus surrounded by wise men, animals, an old barn, snow, shepherds, standing in a smelly field, acting all scared. You know, we get wrapped up in that, don't we? It, it, it's there. But this morning, what I want us to do is it actually kind of look at some real context, the, the real context of Jewish life to show us that God is absolutely certainly working with wisdom. He's working with a welcome. He's working with an invitation through the Bethlehem's birth in ways that most believers, especially in American Christianity, man, we just miss it. We get caught up in it. And we, and we have a hard time reflecting, reflecting in it. So the question on the floor this morning is this. Have the centuries added an entertaining detail to Christmas that's taken away from the real story? And I think the answer is yeah. I think the answer is yeah. So we're going to dig into that. If you have your copy of God's Word, and you're willing, and you're able, hey, let's stand together. We're going to, stand, we're going to be in Luke chapter number 2, starting in verse 1. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Remember the question on the floor. Have centuries of traditionalism possibly taken away some of the truth of the Christmas story? I think it has. I think it has. Luke chapter 2, uh, two starting in 1, says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David. Why? Well, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out on the field and keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Amen, church. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Who is the Messiah, the Lord? You guys can be seated. Now, I know that's familiar. Some of you guys, if you're like us at the house, you'll sit and you'll gather around and you'll read that on Christmas morning. But remember the question on the floor. The question on the floor is, has traditional, traditionalism over the centuries in American Christianity, has it made the truth that, we've, that we just read, is it, has, it, has it fogged it up? Any? Is there a fuzziness of, 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 of the message? Well, if you look on your sermon guide, we're going to work through some, a few things. The first thing is this. What do we see in this? We see God's wisdom in Bethlehem's birth. We see God's wisdom. See, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. 
See, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that it doesn't belong in a fruit salad. The wisdom that we see of God right here is incredible. And I was thinking about this. It's interesting as we get older that we kind of stop seeking wisdom, isn't it? We just think we have everything figured out. But our kids, they never stop seeking wisdom as a child. If you think about it, they're always asking, why, where, who, what, when? And you look at them like, I don't know nothing. They always seek wisdom. Kids want to know stuff. Kid asked his dad one day, he said, Dad, can I ask you a question? Dad's like, sure. He said, Dad, when a doctor doctors a doctor, does the doctor doing the doctoring doctor as the doctor being doctored wants to doctor? Or does the doctor doing the doctoring doctor as he wants to doctor? Dad's like, I don't know nothing. Wisdom. We find in the life of a child. Don't you know this morning, there's nothing that catches God unprepared. Amen? The Lord is not frustrated by what we ask of Him because He's not controlled by us to God be the glory. Nothing can frustrate the Lord. But what happens is some details have gotten fuzzy over the years which, which, which leads to this fuzzy view of the wisdom of God like maybe God doesn't have things in control. You know, if, if, if you look at the Christmas story and, and it seems like that there, it's out of control, maybe, maybe, maybe there are things that frustrate the wisdom of God. See, that's where this line of thinking goes. And I'm here to tell you, though, the birth of the Lord Jesus was a brilliant occasion. But the longer the imprecision of the traditions go and challenge, the more we might miss God in the details. You guys write this down. It's on your notes. The culture should never shape the scriptures because the scripture is the only firm foundation to which shifting culture is to be built. You guys just sang that. Christ is my what? Firm foundation on which my house is built. You see a lot of those motifs in God's word about foundations, cornerstones, rocks, because it's objective. There has to be an unshakable, wise foundation for us to build our lives on. And that's what we see. We see this if you dig into it. And I love it because context is king. And if you dig into this, it comes to life. Consider this. It's, it's there. It's the next thing on your notes. Joseph was actually at ease. Joseph was actually at ease. Let's read verses 1 through 5 again. It, see, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. This was just a, a Roman decree of a census so that they knew how to get their money. That's the political climate that our Lord Jesus was brought into. You know what? Not much has changed. God is still ruling and reigning. Jesus is still making an impact on the earth despite the rulers of this day. Amen? Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house 
and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Every word of Scripture has purpose. There's, there's, there's details here. Joseph was at ease. And so let me, let me point to some things out to you. We know that Joseph was returning back to a village of his origin. The tradition has it that the town, tradition, American, says the town was so packed that, that, that he couldn't find anybody to welcome him, right? That's what we kind of think. This makes, it, may, it makes for a fun Christmas movie, but if you really dig into it, it's not what the Bible actually says. Actually, in Middle Eastern culture, even today, family connections to a village is generational. So in such a world, a man like Joseph could have appeared in Bethlehem and told the people, I'm Joseph, son of Jacob, son of Nathan, the son of Eleazar, and most homes would have been wide open to him. But there's another element here. The Bible says he was of royal blood. That is, he was from the lineage of King David. Lineage brings ease, doesn't it? When you are somebody, and people know that you are somebody, and you walk into, and you have a lineage, you have a name, you have a reputation, it just opens doors for you, doesn't it? That's why one of the greatest things you can do for your friends is introduce them to other friends. It's networking. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? That, that's where it is. Then there's Mary. We know from Luke 1 that Mary had relatives in a nearby village because a few months prior to the birth of Jesus, what did she do? She visited her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea, which is just right outside of Jerusalem. And it says that home welcomed her. And so by the time Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, they were a short distance from the family. Certainly, they would have been given a place to stay if, and that's a big if, Joseph couldn't find three hots in a cot. But, in a, but we read into the text, don't we? We fill in, we, we argue from silence, and that's dangerous to do in God's Word. And if you, let me ask you this. You think William, the Prince of Wales, and his family would have to R, B, and B it in London Negative. Negative. So yes, it's extremely unlikely that Joseph and Mary were running door to door as beggars. Because royalty, church, never begs when the king is your Abba Daddy. Amen? In a town where kings are made. Some of you are like, Pastor Ryan, I've never heard this before. I'm going to have to take my nativity down. I'm not no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Hang with me. See, if you, if you know the details, which, what it leads us to do is it, it leads us to understand God's wisdom, that God's working. He's there. But Pastor Ryan, weren't they in a panic because she's in labor? That's not what the text says. The labor was actually on time. Joseph was at ease. The labor was on time. Look at verse 6. What does the text say? It says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. That's what it says. 
Remember, this is a story of a coming king to rescue and redeem all the world since the foundation of the earth were laid. That's what, the, that's what this whole book is about from cover to cover. And so we have to be very careful how we see and how we read into what we think the text might actually be saying and what the text might actually be doing. First, there's no urgency. Joseph wouldn't have taken a ready-to-deliver Mary on such an arduous journey. Well, Pastor, how, how, you know, how, can you, how can you say that? Well, in Matthew 119, it says when, 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 Matthew found, um, when Joseph found out that, that, he, that Mary was expecting, it says that he was a righteous man. And it said he, he, was, trying to, he was trying to come up with um, the proper way to divorce her without putting her to shame. He didn't run out in the street. He didn't pitch a fit. He didn't buy a billboard. He didn't call his friends. He didn't, he didn't send a, a message out. He was a righteous man, which means he wanted to walk in his integrity to do what was right, but also to protect her reputation. He didn't want to add shame and guilt to her. So why in the world would we believe that if he went to such great length to protect her character, her reputation, then he wouldn't take the same care to protect her physically if she was about to go into labor why would he say come on we gotta go hop on oh it couldn't hurt that bad you see we we know what kind of character we know what kind of character he, he was the bible says while they were there the days were accomplished that she should deliver while they were there the time spent in bethlehem before the birth it isn't specified but it was surely long enough to find a welcoming home or to turn to Mary's family. Guys, put yourself in that situation. These are real people that happen in real time, right? People haven't changed that much. What would we do? We would do what he did. Let's think about the culture. In every culture, a woman about to give birth is given special attention, isn't she? Simple rural communities, really the world over, what they do is, is they, they will assist one of their own if, if, those own if their own women is in the childbirth regardless of circumstances. And that even happens here in America. If you have, if you have a woman expecting, there's just a different priority, isn't there? They walk in and they're doing the whole belly thing. You know, the back's back, the hand's on top. You know, they're walking in. You're like, make way, right? What do you need? Where can I go? What's going on? How can I help? It's the same way in all cultures. So are we to imagine that Bethlehem was an exception? Or that there was no sense of honor in Bethlehem? No. Of course there was. Because to turn away an expecting descendant of David in the city of David would be an unspeakable shame on the entire village. But we read into that, don't we? See, the average Christian thinks that Jesus was born the same night the Holy Family arrived and that Joseph was willing to accept shelter in a cold, smelly stable. That's just not the case. Because that would lead one to believe, y'all hang with me, that would lead one to believe that Jesus, the promised Lamb of God, the one sent to, to crush sin and death and the wisdom before the foundations of the world was laid, the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness arrived on earth's timeline to which it is bent in haste. 
That's just not the case. What we see is the wisdom. Y'all with me, church? We see the wisdom of God. We can see that God's wisdom was over Bethlehem's birth all along. And when we as Jesus followers face life's uncertainties, we need to look for God in the details. Because he can't be frustrated. But how does that challenge us? Man, how, how would that change the way we laid our lives, our situations, no matter what they are? How would that change it if we understood that in Christ and in his wisdom, our best days are ahead? And it put a pep in your step, wouldn't it? No matter the news that you accepted today, to know that God is not frustrated by uncertainties, and we can lay our lives right at his hand because he's making all things new for his glory and for our good. Amen? That's exactly what Paul says in, in Romans 8. Romans 8, 18 says this. I have, this, I have verse 18 on a note card in my truck because I need to remind myself of this when I'm driving. So I, I kind of work on scripture memories and that's what's there right now, Romans 8, 18. For I consider... That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed in us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. That's talking about the, the resurrection of believers. The creation waits for the return of the Lord when he makes all things new. For the creation was subjected to Futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedoms of God's children. All of creation is waiting for us to be resurrected, made new in the wisdom of God. Wow. We have a mighty role to play. Amen, church? For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until when? Until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. It's not going to be like this forever. But the Spirit of God has been given to us as a first fruit to show us something better is on the way. Amen? Because God's wisdom is there. In God's perfect timing, our current groanings, even when the affliction of our lives are self-inflicted, you know what I'm saying? You know, you, I, I saw this little meme. It was a bracelet that said WWJD, and then it was, it was another one that said, well, something like Jesus wouldn't do that because he never would have gotten himself in the situation in the first place. <laughs> so it had the first letters of that whole sentence. Yes, God works in our afflictions. Often they're self-inflicted because of the bondage that we're under. But that will be remade. When God restores his followers and this earth back to full glory of the Genesis garden. That was the, oh, was the purpose of the garden all along. To make the glory of God known and expanded. And he is going to remake 
heaven on earth to accomplish the original purposes for those that love him and serve him are called according to his purposes. Praise be to God that even though we have self-inflicted wounds and we face affliction, that we can still taste grace and we can still, we can still have a touch of his great love that redeems and restores as we trust what little that we do know, those first fruits. Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incorruptible, eternal weight and glory. If you're in Christ, we've just tasted what is to come. First fruits. Know about you, but you get that first ripe tomato in the summer, not, not some of this hothouse stuff you buy at the grocery store. What, what is that even real fruit? I'm talking about you grow it in your backyard and you cut it and you take that sunbeam and you put the Duke's mayonnaise on it and you slice it up and you lay it on there, salt and pepper. It will change your life. It's like a party in your mouth. And you take that bite. Can I get a witness? And that sharp, acidic, homegrown tomato taste makes you go, glory! Woo! I got to have some more of that. We can have that first fruit. Man, I want a tomato sandwich for lunch. <laughs> the first fruits in our lives. Y'all write this down. Bad experiences on our time must never assume God is not working on his time. Man, that's for somebody this morning. Bad experiences on our time must never assume God is not working on his time. However fragile that belief might be right now, looking at what God has around you this Christmas, and some of you guys are facing Christmases in a way that you never dreamed it would, I want you to know, stand firm that God is really able to redeem all things to beauty and display his wisdom in the details of your life all along, all along. I mean, listen, if he was able to secure salvation for the Jewish nation and all of us bacon eaters by way of the cross, on the worst day of history, I'm, I'm saying maybe, just maybe, he can bring, he can bring some ease and, and perfect timing in your life. I'm telling you, he can. In Christ, your salvation is secure. You can't lose it because you didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to buy it or cry it. God's gracious gift is not of works, lest any man should boast. God called you, and he seals you by his spirit. The first fruits of glory to come. And so we wait. What do we do? What Paul said, we wait and we serve with patience, obedience and faith. So absolutely God's wisdom, if you've seen it, Joseph was at ease and he was not, the labor was not in haste. We see God is in the details because God is an all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, mighty Savior. That's the truth I want you to get, as you know, this, this season Christmas is on the way. There's something else. God's welcome is found in the truth behind Bethlehem's birth. The wisdom and the welcome. Look at verse 7. These are the words. Wisdom. There's a welcome. Look at verse 7. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth 
laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Maybe your Bible say in. Different translations say different things, but the, the message is, is the same. Some translations are more wooden than others. Some are a little more loose than others. So my encouragement is to find something that's kind of right in the middle. That takes, it takes the, some, the original words, but then, then packages it in a way that's easy to read. Okay? You've, got the, you've got the message translation that's way over here. It's like a nursery rhyme in a lot of ways, which has a purpose. And then you have some very wooden translations, like the, 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 the original King James. We use the CSB. It's a good one. It's kind of right here. The ESV is a good one. The NASB is a good one. And so what, the, what my translation says, and it kind of translates the word correctly, it says guest room. See, when you welcome somebody into your house, <clears throat> there's some things that you offer to make them feel more welcome. You just don't let anybody in your house, right? And if you do allow somebody in your house, you want to make them feel at home. A week and a half ago, doorbell rings, and it was the Amazon delivery guy. And um, he gets out, I shake his hand, and his name was Terrence. He comes in, he's like, can I use the restroom? I'm like, absolutely. I'm like, hey, Terrence, you want some coffee? He said, nah, yeah, I, I, think, I think I do want some coffee. He was kind of surprised. And so we walked over to the cafe and, and uh, popped a cake up in, made him some coffee, opened the fridge, what kind of creamer do you want, you know? Owen and Ellen and the crew, they've got everything stocked. So I'm using during the week, and I'm making coffee. And then he sees a little basket that has those, you know, packs of peanuts and, and, and trail mix. He's like, can I have one of those? I'm like, absolutely. So we take three. <laughs> and, so, and so I'm like, all right, man, Lord, we're going with this. And so, uh, so it was, I made him to go cup of coffee, and, and, and he stands there. and said, hey, man, you're a Newton County guy? He said, he said no, this is my route. I live, in, I live in Gwinnett. But you know what? People are really nice out here. I'm like, you know what? If we can't love somebody, what's wrong with us? We've been given one life to love people. And we love you. And you're welcome anytime. All right? So that was, that was at the beginning of, of, of the week. And then toward the end of the week, I see, I see a van pull up in my yard. And I walk out to get the package, and it wasn't an Amazon truck. It was an unmarked sketch van. But it was Terrence again. <laughs> I said, Terrence. You scared me. You can't roll up in the neighborhood in an unmarked van. He's like, I know, but it's got good heat. I like it. <laughs> he said, it's just seasonal. I said, I got you. And, uh, and, and so he, I recognized him, but he didn't recognize me because I was outside of what he typically sees me at the church. And I said, hey, man, I fixed you a cup of coffee last week. And then his eyes opened. He's like, oh, yeah, you did. Hey, pastor. Well, then, because my wife has an addiction, he comes back to my house to deliver a package, and this time he gets out. And I see him out, and he walks up on the front porch, and we had some painting going on. And so Debbie's in the house. I'm like, hey, Terrence. He's like, hey, I'm just over at the church. And, da, 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 da. and uh, he said, what you got going on? I said, well, we're doing a little bit of painting. He said, oh, man, what color? I said, it's called natural linen, Sherwin Williams. Come on in. <laughs> Debbie's like, what is the Amazon guy doing at our house? I said, oh, this is Terrence. We, we've been having coffee together. What in the world? I don't know what God's doing in Terrence, but I'm getting ready to put it on him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> God is in the details. God's in the details. But when, see, when you welcome some, somebody in your house, you do some things. You say, hey, can I take your coat? 
can I offer you something to drink? And if you really want them to feel at home, you'll give them your Wi-Fi password. <laughs> right? What are we doing? We're creating an environment they feel at home at. See, most English translations read the child was born out back someplace because, because there, was, there was no room for them in the inn. We think that. This really sounds as if they were rejected by the people. But we know that's not the case. We just laid it out. They're in Bethlehem through the line of David, right? So exactly what is the detail with the end in a first century Middle Eastern Jewish mountainous region of Judea? It's this. You guys write this down. The end was actually, as my translation just said, was actually a home. The end was a home. But that's the trap of the, the American Christmas story. Right? The traditional phrase, no room in the inn. And it's taken on this meaning that, that, that this inn had a bunch of rooms that were all occupied. Like some no vacancy sign was already switched on when they arrived. Right? Y'all with me? Y'all? Yeah, that's kind of what we think. But actually, the word in the original language doesn't refer to, to a room as an inn. The word used is actually a space. There was no more space. There was no ro more room in that space. Like, there would, there's no more room on this stage for a large Christmas tree. The Greek word for in, that's in Luke, is the word kataluma. Kataluma. It, it literally means a place to stay, or even better yet, a space to use. And in the context... This is a guest space that would be used in a private residence. See, if Luke expected us to think that Joseph was turned away from a hotel, he would have used a completely different word. A word that's actually used in the New Testament, which was a public house for reception of strangers. Like in the story of the Good Samaritan. In the story of the Good Samaritan, remember, the Samaritan helped the injured man, and he led him to a guest house with lots of room. And that is the word pandoion, pandoion, which is a completely different word that was used for a guest space. Kataluma is the same word used in Luke 22, 10, 11, and 12. It's right here. Listen, he said to them, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jar will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. That house is the same word that Luke used for in. Y'all see that? Tell the owner of the house. The teacher asks you, where is the guest room? Cataluma. Where I can eat the Passover with my disciples. Then he will show you a large furnished room. Make the preparations there. God is in the details. Isn't he? God's in the details. So when Luke so when Luke two seven tells us that something was full, actually what was full was a spare bedroom of a private home. Why? Because other family were in town. Everybody was going back. Every everybody had kind of come home for Christmas. What that tells us, the next thing, the manger was enough. The inn was actually a home, and the manger was actually enough. Look at verse 7 again. 
Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I hope some light bulbs are going off right here of how good God is. It's more likely, once we understood in the welcome details, that Joseph relied on the hospitality of some friends and some family in Bethlehem whose guest room was full when he and Mary arrived. So now what? I mean, are we to believe that it was out back to the stable? To a barn? I mean, our tradition would say that. That's what we see on TV. That's what we see in live, live nativities. Well, the answer to that is, is not really, because that's not the context of Middle Eastern culture. Now, we have a little light nativity in our front yard. I'm not going home to burn that. We have a really nice little nativity set out that the kids are going to welcome you guys over the next couple of weeks in costume. Okay, we're not going to cancel that. I'm saying let's be smart about what we see and what the text really says. Let's be careful not to allow our hearts to, to go somewhere that it really shouldn't, but appreciate some of the traditions that we have. But don't let those overshadow really what the message is all about. See, rich folks would have a separate quarter for the animals. But most people in Bethlehem just had a couple of rooms. One was for the guest, and the other was a living space. They did everything. If you've been to third world countries, have done mission work, and you realize it's not these huge houses. You've got one room that they kind of do everything in, and then you have like a, an extra space. And what, would, what, would, what would you would see is, is the extra space is not necessarily where they did life, it was where they could, in their culture, use as a hospitality space. And then what you would see is that the end of the house attached to this family room was a stable space. And the stable space would be a few feet lower than the home. So you have those two rooms, and then you have this attached stable space so that you could keep an eye on your animals. Okay, They didn't have... 40, 50, 60 acres. This isn't America that were the fruited plain that we're dealing with. This was, this was hill country. This was desert country. And so when you understand that, what you see is, is the house probably looks something like this. I got a little diagram for you. So you have the cataluma. Then you have this living space. Then you have a few steps that would go down to a stable space. And the reason that, that it was elevated is because it made it easier for the animals to feed on that elevated space like a trough. Y'all with me? You can still see houses just like this in the upper Galilee region. They're still there. It works. But it was, it was these two rooms, and then you had the stable space, but the stable space was still under the roof of the main house. If we were going to make this into 2023... 2022 would probably look something like this. Some of your houses may look like this. That kind of changes the picture, doesn't it? Oh, okay. Well, that, that completely makes sense. And so each night, the family cow or the donkey or the sheep, they would be driven inside for protection and comfort, not from the back of the 50, 60 acre field, but right out into the courtyard. And every morning, those same animals were taken out and tied up in the small courtyard of the house. 
See, there's evidence. If you, if you think about text and you think about some of the Old Testament things, it describes these types of houses. For example, in 1 Samuel 28, the Bible says that Saul had a calf killed that was taken from within his house, not, not from his field. In Judges 11, the, the story of Jephthah, some of you guys know this, that on his way to make war, he made a vow with God that if there was victory when he got home, the first thing that came out of the house, he would sacrifice it to the glory of God. And it's a tragic story. But when he approaches the house, the first thing that comes out of the house was his daughter. If, 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 if this man expected anything else to come out of his house other than an animal, he never would have made that vow. Y'all with me? So what's being described here in Luke is a house with a family space that's slightly above the place for the animals who feed from the mangers that were dug out at the lower end of that living room. Not necessarily a wooden manger, but actually a slab of rock because that's what they had there. They would hewn that thing out and the animals would feed with ease. So the manger probably looks something like this. I hope this is coming to life. It certainly makes sense to me. It totally answers the question of, is Joseph running around? Where's the hay? Where's the wood? Where's the animals? What am I going to do? God is in the details. So rather than being turned away from hotels, Joseph found, uh, likely found his relatives filled with guests who were there for the census. And the couple didn't face a closed door. They were family and she was pregnant. They just had to kind of make themselves at home, kind of in the garage. Hey, y'all, come on. We're, we're full, but I can light the propane, you know. I, I, we'll ventilate it. We'll put out an air mattress for you. Make yourselves at home. Fridge is right there. Here's a Wi-Fi. You see? Hey, I don't, my room's full, but hey, you, you can stay in the detached. You can stay in the basement. You can stay in the bonus room. You see? You see what I'm saying? So what, what Luke is showing us in these details right here is God's invitation is found in the, in the wisdom and the welcome. See, it's all coming around. It's all coming around to even while we sing Emmanuel, God with us. It's the invitation. The invitation is, is flushed out right here. Look in verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field. How do we know they were out in the field? Because it says they were out in the field. Doesn't say Joseph was sleeping out in the yard. He was in a guest room. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for, let's say it together, church, all the people. That will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. If you think about what you see in the New Testament, <clears throat> Jesus is an inviter. You know what I'm saying? He's always saying stuff like this. Come and see. Come and eat. Come and sit. Come down. Put down. Follow me. He's always 
inviting throughout the Gospels because God wants to house himself up against mankind through Jesus. See, when the angels told Mary that she was going to have a child and the child would be called Emmanuel, Emmanuel actually can be translated Emmanuel. Emmanuel. If you think about it and you break down that word, it's two Hebrew roots. The first root is El. It means God. The other one is in. Y'all catch this. It means up against. And so Emmanuel, y'all, Emmanuel is actually God leaning against us. It's, it's better translated. It's better translated the with us God. Or with us is God. I like, I'd like to say the lean, the, the lean on God. Wow! That's unbelievable. See, you don't typically want strangers leaning up against you because you don't know them. Because leaning implies a personal relationship. Josh, come up here. You want to lean on me? That's weird. This, this is weird, ain't it? Does this make you uncomfortable? Nope. What about this? Nope. Come on, play along, play along. Yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> That's weird, but not necessarily because we're friends. We shake hands. We, we have brotherly love, you know. We think about a stranger. You don't want strangers. You don't want strangers standing right here. What this is showing us is... God wants us to know him. God wants to know us. It is a personal relationship. Think about this. The divine who flung out the stars and lit them on fire invites you to lean into him through Christ. Man, that is, that is, that is, that is good. The, 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 the Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. The door to which he, he stands and knocks on your life this morning wants to knock and lean on us, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus himself said in John 6, 35, that I am the bread of life, and anyone who comes to me, I want you to catch this, will not hunger. You listen, church, God is in the details. And there might be some of you here today that's been feasting on the things of the world, but you can't find satisfaction, you know it. The job's not cutting it. It's not bringing joy. Your habits and your hobbies are not cutting it. Your belly's full, but your soul is empty. There's a smile on your face, but there's no, there's no peace in your heart. Why? Because man can't live on bread alone. You can't find fulfillment and joy and peace in anything outside of God through Christ, virgin-born, in the city of David. And guess what the city of David means, church? House of bread. Man! How about them apples? I don't want you to miss this, church. Jesus, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, who gave himself as bread of life, through which we can know God as Abba, Father, arrives in a king-making town called the house of bread. You tell me God's not after you this morning. And so 
We might have to rewrite our traditions a little bit. We might have to rewrite in our minds the Christmas play. But in rewriting those, the story's not cheapened. It's brought to life. God came down with an invitation. God steps into our world fully aware. And God steps into your world this morning fully in control. And what is the desire? To step in and lean on Him into a deeper relationship, shoulder to shoulder. Better yet, in His lap as Abba Father, in a relationship with God through God in flesh, Emmanuel. The leaning God. And so there's, there, there's, there's nothing greater as Christmas is on the way this, this morning than just to lean in on Him. Joseph wasn't in a panic. Why are you in a panic? Mary wasn't worried. So why are we worried? The reason they weren't in a panic and the reason that they weren't worried is because they were in the city of David, house of bread, feasting on the bread of life. Let's do this. Let's pray together, church. Christmas is on the way. Hey, nobody looking around. But I simply want to offer some invitations to you as Christmas is on the way. I feel like it's in order this morning. I pray you walk out of this room relieved by what you just heard. That, that God, the greatest architect, has wisdom to, to rewrite our traditions in Christ. And that he's inviting you to lean on him exclusively this morning. Hey, maybe you're in here this morning and you've questioned the wisdom of God because of your circumstances. I'm here to tell you, God is capable and willing to show his will to you in your circumstances. Hey, is there anybody in here that say, Pastor, I need God's wisdom over my life because I'm looking around and this Christmas is bringing some extra anxiety. Will you pray for me that I will understand God's wisdom over my life? Anybody? Amen. 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 And friend, let me tell you, God knows where you are. If God can lay a birth in the foundations of the earth and bring it to pass exactly in his timing he can certainly do that in your life if you're here this morning and you're like pastor I'm just not feeling it this Christmas I pray that you would see God in the details this morning it would light a fire in you to worship the king of kings the coming king the reigning king if you're here this morning and you know God's calling you to know Him and love Him and save you for the first time. Why in the world would you wait? All you have to do is simply believe in who Jesus said He was and then lay your life at His feet. Knowing that you're saved and sure, God is in the details. The detail is He wants you to honor Him with your life. May this Christmas be the greatest Christmas you've ever experienced because you can finally, with assurance, celebrate Him as King and Kings and Savior of your heart.
I'd be amiss if I didn't ask you to invite the Lord Jesus and respond to his call over your life this morning as Christmas is on the way. If you're struggling with your relationship with Christ, goodness, don't struggle any longer. Be saved and be sure this morning. Anybody here say, Pastor, I don't have a relationship with Christ, but He has been leaning on me for days, for weeks, for months, maybe for years. The Lord has been leaning on you in rebellion. You've been rejecting Him this morning. You want to finally come to the feet of the Father and receive Christ as Savior. Just burning in your heart. That is not something you... you you, that is not something that you had for, for breakfast. That is, that is the drawing and the leaning God working in your life. Nobody looking around. Say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ this morning. I want this Christmas to be different. I want you to pray for me. I want to receive Christ. I want to have that conversation. Anybody be willing to raise their hand? Say, that's me, Pastor. I want Christmas to be different this year. I want next year to be different. I want my future to be different. I want my eternity to be different. I'm tired of running, and I want to lean on the one who's leaning on me. Simply lift your hand. Church, Christmas is on the way. Let's pray together. God, you're so good to us. God, you're so good to us, not because we deserve it, because you are good. And in your goodness, you lavish that on our lives. Lord, you are allowing us here at this place just to get a glimpse of that. Father, those that will experience a fresh, a fresh spark in their life, God, thank you. Thank you for working in us and through us despite us, Lord. God, we praise you for your, your word this morning through the written word, through the the words that we sang through the hands that we lifted to you. Lord, we see you in the details and I pray that those details would shape us and they would forge something new in us and those details and your wisdom would keep us hot as we move into the Christmas season. Father, I pray you would guard our hearts from distraction. God, we're not worried this Christmas. You came to us. You ascended. And we know you're coming again as, as, as your word says. So Lord, I ask you to prepare in our hearts this morning just a posture of surrender and praise. As we know, the moment's coming. Christmas is on the way. Truth. May it set your people free. God, we praise you this morning. We pray it in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. And all God's people said amen. amen. Hey, let's stand together. We're going to have a moment of invitation.